0: Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Nizar Hassan. I'm joined as usual by
1: Benjamin Redd. Hello Ben. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, how are you? I'm doing super well because we've got a ton of things to talk about this week.
0: I know, crazy. Usually we have a lot of things to talk about, but this week we have a new parliament speaker, right?
1: <laughs> we do, we do yeah. we, uh We got a new parliament speaker, we got a Uh, Like a real new deputy speaker, like a lot of questions uh, were answered. Mm -hmm. Um, And some things weren't really questions, but they were answered anyway, like the parliament speaker, Nabi Berri, has come back for his sixth term in office. Oh, my God.
0: Like there was an exciting thing that happened this week for maybe 24 hours. We didn't have Nabi Berri as speaker for 24 hours before he was elected again.
1: I guess technically... That's right. Yeah, yeah. Michel Moore yeah. was because he was the So the last oldest. time this happened must have been in 2009 then. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah.
0: Great things wow. happening this week. So uh, Parliament Speaker Nabeh Birri was elected again with 98 votes, 29 blank votes mainly by the Lebanese forces. Some FPM people, apparently... right? So, uh,
1: like, apparently, the the FPM gave their people a choice whether to support Berri or not. Some of them apparently did support him, and some of them apparently did not.
0: Mm. And then Qatar voted against Berri, apparently.
1: Yeah, which I don't I'd really understand, but whatever. there are only three votes. So. Trying
0: to look, situate themselves as the opposition, maybe.
1: I yeah yeah maybe. But the mo- most interesting thing here, though, was. Paula Yaubian making this uh, big splash in the very her very first appearance in Parliament. She was the only person from the civil society list to get anywhere to get elected. Uh, so she's representing the Sabah party, and she came into Parliament and on her very first day, her very first vote, they didn't count her vote. Yeah, one of six women in Parliament did not count her vote. <laughs> she voted
0: for uh, Nadine Lavaki, the Lebanese. Director, film director, very famous, award winning, yeah, yeah, right, right. Who recently won the Cannes Festival's jury prize. And, uh, and they didn't count her vote, they didn't read out her vote. They're supposed to read out everything that's written on the ballot, on the papers, right? And they didn't read out her vote and they considered it blank for no reason. So she yeah, protested right. and there was this
1: like. Yeah, so what happened was it was now. like they. Uh, the, uh, the secretary general of parliament, uh, a man by the name of uh, Adnan Daher, right. He was the one actually opening the ballots and reading them out. And, uh, he, he's not an MP, by the way, he's, he's like a civil servant. Right. And he read out, uh, 98 Nabi Berris and, uh, 30 blank ballots, right. 128 in total. And so of course, Paula was like, well, uh, excuse me, Dalton Rais, uh, you did not read my name. I voted for this person. What What did you, did you count this as a, a vote for Nabi Perri? Or did you vote <laughs> count this as a blank ballot, right? And apparently they said that they counted it as a blank ballot, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, one of the
0: MPs told her, you will learn what happens in Parliament. Something that was very condescending. Like, you will learn things from now on, or something like that.
1: It was quite fun. Oh my God, yeah. That That is ridiculous. One of six women in parliament, of course.
0: Uh, yeah, but the real election that happened this week was for the deputy speaker. Right, because right? we
1: didn't know the result exactly. of that going
0: in. I mean, you knew. Last episode, you said... Eli win. I, I didn't said it's know. Probably going I, I
1: thought he had a very good chance. Uh, I, okay, no, I'm going to take right. that back. I knew, I knew 100%. <laughs> I'm I so like Nostradamus here.
0: With 80 to 81 votes, it was a bit confusing. They said both numbers. Right, So then, I was
1: watching the al jadid feed hmm. of this, right, on TV. And they were counting every single time uh, Adnan Dahar said a name. They would, like, put... You know, one, two, three, four up on the screen for yep. Elifetzli or Anis Nassar or, or whoever, and so at the end of the the voting, it was like eighty for Elifetzli. Mm-hmm. But then they read like the vote total. I think Nabi be better to read it, and he said eighty-one. Mm-hmm. It was <laughs> like, wait, no, That's they were, they curious. were they were counting right along with you, and so I, I think the final vote total was eighty, but they just got it wrong. Which like this is like okay so they they botched this apparently they botched uh palya obian's vote uh for speaker of parliament this this all just sort of reminds me of that fiasco on what i like to call the the spooky halloween uh, or the spooky session of parliament back on halloween 2016 when they elected uh michelle Aoun president President, Mm -hmm. yeah uh, and they had to vote something like three times because they kept getting it wrong. And yep. it, it just looks really terrible. Like, it looks like parliament doesn't have their shit together.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they can't even vote right. <laughs> I agree. It's embarrassing. Anyway, the thing is, Ali Fersley won with 80 to 81 votes out of 128. Anis Nassar, the candidate of the Lebanese forces, uh, came second with only 32 votes. So that's basically LF plus 15 other peop- uh, 17 other people who voted for him. And the third... It was Nicolana Haas, uh, the MP from the North, who weirdly endorsed Ali Firisli just before the session, and then he got four votes, and four is the number of MPs in his own bloc
1: in parliament, right? Right. So clearly, he's in Najima Ati's block in Parliament, they've got four MPs. So clearly something happened where they were like, no, we're going to vote for you. Mm. I, I, I don't know what the calculus was Maybe it was, was a there. birthday
0: surprise or something, <laughs> like a serious political decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> some other posts as well were filled. The secretariat of the Parliament, right? We had Marwan Hamadi uh, with the 76 votes. Marwan Ahmedi is part of the PSP block of Wali Blood. We have Alain Aoun from the FPM block bloc, who also won with eighty-four votes.
1: Right, and Estefan uh, Dwehi was also in the writing. He got forty-two votes. He's a Marde is in Tony Frangi's uh, block. And then, like there was, there was this thing from the LF. They wanted Fadi Saad to take Antoine Zahra's uh, place, but that didn't happen. I'm not sure if if he got any votes. Uh, I don't think he did. Uh, so yeah, so those the two secretaries were Marwan Hemede and Alain Aoun. Um, and then the commissioners were also elected. So all, all these all these posts, right, that, that we're talking about, they, they form the, the Bureau of Parliament or the, the, the I'm not sure what you, the, the people who like sort of like decide what goes on in Parliament and make sure that uh, everything gets done and the, the, the schedule for the next, you know, the,
0: the political bureaucrats of the parliament. right. So, yeah, so, so run like the administration of the parliament.
1: Right, right. They've mm. got people to do all like to push all the papers, but of they make course. the decisions, right? Mm. Um, and so there's seven of them. It's the the speaker, the deputy speaker, two secretaries, and then three commissioners. So by the time that they had voted for the speaker, and the deputy speaker, and all of this is done by secret ballot. This is like, and then like names are called, and all of the votes are read, and everything. By the time they had done this once for the speaker, once for the deputy speaker. Once for the two secretaries, I I, I got the f- sense that they were just really tired, and they just elected by like the the next three the the three commissioners uh on this by just a show of hands. <laughs> so so, oh, so no, the, the law or anything they just. I, to... I I mean I I think that is like they can do that, but it was clear like the the room it seemed to be like they were ready to get out of there right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, I mean, there, there wasn't any, like, the commissioners are the lowest rung here. So, Samir Jisser from Future Movement uh, was elected. Hagop uh, Hago uh the, the head of the Tashnak party who was in coalition with the FPM, he was elected. And Michelle Musa one of Berry's own deputies, was elected. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think it's really interesting, though, because this sets up, like, so who was the winners and who who were the losers?
0: FPM got to actually decide who's the deputy speaker. The sec- one of the secretaries and one of the commissioners, right? If we count the Tashnak as, like, the main Armenian ally of FPM. So they went right. from zero influence on these people to three people. Three That's out of seven. Not huge. bad. Yeah, That's yeah, huge. yeah.
1: And it was really at the expense of the, the future movement and and the LF, right? So they yep. took two. The deputy speaker used to be Farid Makari, mm-hmm. uh, who was a uh, future movement. They took that. They also took a... Uh, one of the commissioners, and then they took uh, the LF. The LF lost their secretary position. Uh, like I said, the LF had wanted to just move Fadi Saad in for Antoine Zahra as one of the secretaries, but no, they lost that. Alain Aoun from the FPM is now uh, the Maronite secretary.
0: And the other big news of this week is uh, the official designation of Hariri, Saad Hariri, the former prime minister, as the prime minister to form the new government, right? Michel Aoun, President Michel Aoun had his consultations with all the MPs of the parliament. This is the protocol and 111 MPs endorsed Saad Hariri.
1: Yeah, this is this is really big and it's also really fast, right? So they only had one day of consultations. Day. So it was the, the first uh, parliament met on Wednesday and then they had their binding, like they call them binding constitutional consultations uh, on Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, actually. And then by the end of the day, Thursday, they announced like Aoun uh, just designated uh, Saad Hariri to be, you know, the next uh or to try to form a cabinet mm-hmm. to be the next prime minister. So only 17 people
0: didn't name Hariri, right? We have 13 MPs from the Hezbollah block and yeah. then one anti-Hariri MP from Saida Osama Saad, like traditionally anti-Hariri, Jamil Syed, uh also on uh, Hezbollah's list, uh, the big security official who's um, like pro-Syrian regime security official in Lebanon. And then Paula Yaoubian the civil society candidate from the Hall of Watani, these are the only people who didn't vote for Hariri, who didn't name Hariri in the constellations with Aun, right?
1: And then there's one other, right? So that, that counts oh, up okay. to 16. And so then there would be okay. one other. And actually, I think it might have been Jihad samad I, I, I need to look that up. But yeah, I, I think I. about that as I well. I think as... I, yeah. So, so the interesting thing about this, right, is that like SSNP, that they supported hariri mm-hmm. that means that it's quite strange adnan trouble uh,
0: it's true adnan trouble votes for Hariri as well that's crazy yeah yeah and adnan trabalsi for some context adnan trabalsi won his seat against hariri's list in in beirut and he was seen as like one of the kind of provocative candidates in in, in the in the district he was the only sunni candidate to win on hezbollah's list in beirut uh, but anyway, uh, for our listeners, we need to explain how this happens. So Hariri's political opponents are naming him as prime minister, even though he is their political opponents, because what happens is the strongest part, the strongest political figure in the Sunni sect, the Sunni Muslim sect is always thought of as the most likely prime minister, right? The right. person who deserves to be prime minister. And this is how Jibran right. Basil, the head of the FPM, this is how he justified his decision. He said, there's no one who can compete with Hariri over the Sunni popularity. So Hariri deserves it. This is the normal decision. That's what he called it.
1: Right. So despite the fact that, you know, Hariri lost the election and went from like 32, 33 seats down to 20 seats in his uh, parliamentary block, Yeah. Well, he he got the support of 110 of those parliamentarians to support him. People who ran against him even supported him to become the next prime minister. So did he really lose? I don't know. You tell me.
0: We'll see with the ministries. Right? <laughs> yeah,
1: right. <laughs> so let's, that's the next step, right? Exactly. Okay, one last thing on the elections, though. Uh, Nohan You he, he was really unhappy. Uh, the future movement uh, announced that they would be separating MPs from ministers, right? So there's this movement that... Uh, in Lebanese politics to separate the two so that MPs can have more effective oversight of ministers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like the LF has signed up to this. The PSP said, if everybody else does it, we'll do it as well. And Future came out and said, we're going to do this. Uh, Mashnu heard this and said, I refuse to be notified through the media. I have not heard this from Hariri. He was unhappy he also got unhappy though when they were doing the voting uh in parliament so he voted True. uh he stayed for the vote for Nabi berri but then he left mm. and so we only had 127 possible ballots in all of the subsequent votes yeah so i I, th- I think it's interesting though this uh trying to divide the mps from the ministers we know now that uh the lf's going to do it and that the future movement's going to do it but we don't know about the fpm right mm. uh Oh, and by by the way, obviously, this doesn't apply to Saad Hariri.
0: Of course, the separation <laughs> doesn't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the the interesting thing, so with the FPM, all of the scuttlebutt is that they're not going to go for it because Gibran Basile wants a ministry, because so many of the MPs are big names and they want ministries. Namat Frem, uh, Rukos, these guys. Um, but interestingly, though, Alain Aoun was also thought, To want a ministry, but instead he is now a secretary in the parliament and you by parliamentary bylaws, you can't be both. Right. Mm -hmm. So he could still become a minister. But what this tells us. Yeah, he would have to resign. And why would you resign right after you were elected? It it would seem like very, very weird. Right. Mm -hmm. So what this tells us is a little inkling. If if the rumors are true that the FPM is not going to abide by this new like let's separate everything. Uh, wave that's happening. If that's true, then Alana's already out. Mm-hmm. He's out of contention. So we have to focus on potentially other people within the FPM as their potential ministers.
0: It's it's interesting. I think to note here that this separation thing is quite meaningless because all the parties are supporting the government, except for Hezbollah officially, but they are supporting it indirectly through through their all of their allies actually. But the thing is all parties in parliament are supportive of the government they are basically pro hariri in his um bid to become prime minister and they are getting their shares in the government so who's doing the oversight right who's holding the cabinet accountable if the parliament is represented in the cabinet so this separation i think thing i think is mostly like uh Theatrical, more than
1: uh, right. Like there, there's a good theoretical basis for it, maybe, but uh, it's hard to see how you know is a future parliamentarian really going to hold a future minister, uh, a future movement minister accountable? Never. <laughs> and that goes for that goes for <laughs> yeah, every party, definitely. right? Okay. Uh, so very quickly to run through a few other things that happened this week. So the uh, the final um, the final meeting of cabinet happened on Monday. And we saw a, a bunch of things get approved. Uh, and so most of the things, the, the other news of the week comes from that. And so they, they're they doing some things with electricity. The promise of 24-7 electricity is not, it's not gonna happen, but uh, supposedly we're getting a barge for free, another mm-hmm. power barge uh, this for the summer. Uh, supposedly more coastal land projects were approved. I don't know, there's a conflicting thing about uh, a, a project, a private project on the coast in Anfe. Not sure what's going on with that. Uh, But we will find out. We will look
0: into it in another episode.
1: Uh, Hospital salaries, like the staff salaries, were raised in in line with the uh, new salary scale, which is good because hospital staff were actually uh, off and on protesting and doing strikes and everything. Uh, Commissioners for the National Human Rights Institute were appointed and... uh, There was some
0: controversy around that as well among human rights activists, like around the names that were... uh, included and excluded, Jeez. because they excluded a couple of like names that were important, um, apparently or critical uh, figures, and they included others. So there's this uh, debate. Maybe we will know more about it uh, later, and uh, we can update our listeners.
1: Great, great. Um, one other really big thing that happened: there was a, there were clashes in Tripoli, uh, and a soldier died. Actually, mm-hmm. so um, this is not this is not like a. Jabal Mussin Babat type thing for those of you who follow Tripoli the Tripoli security situation. Um this happened in the in the center of town, far away from uh Jabl Mussin and And basically what we know is that the army was pursuing wanted men, apparently, and the men took up posts apparently in the building <laughs> that houses Mohammed Gabbara's office.
0: Mohammed Gabbara is an MP and the former Minister of Labor,
1: right? Uh, yeah, the, but in, and still the Minister of Labor, the caretaker. The caretaker. Minister, yeah, yeah. Um, longtime MP for Tripoli, and he's got this office like right in the middle of town, and apparently they went in there, into that building, and were there. But the uh, result was, uh, I think several uh, soldiers were wounded, and mm-hmm. one actually died.
0: True.
1: Okay, so our topic this week that we want to dive into, and we have to do this sort of quickly because we just spent most of the podcast talking about stuff that happened in Parliament and stuff that happened at Babda Palace. (laughs) Uh, Our topic this week is Hezbollah and the sanctions that have been happening. So we talked about this just a little bit last week, right? True. So just to recap, Trump pulled out of the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear agreement, on May 8th. And then on May 15th, a week later, the Treasury Department announced sanctions uh, against officials with the Central Bank of Iran, Al-Bilad Bank. And uh, Mohammed Kassir, who is uh, Hezbollah, they said was a like a conduit of finance from uh, the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Forces, to Hezbollah. The next day, OFAC came out again. This was a joint uh, thing with uh, between OFAC and basically the the GCC countries, what Mm -hmm. they're calling the Terrorist Financing Targeting Center. And they came out. They named 10 individuals and four companies for alleged connections to Hezbollah. Uh, a lot of these were already sanctioned by the U.S., but mm-hmm. some of them weren't. But because it's a joint Gulf-American thing, all of them were named. The day after that, May 17th, uh, OFAC, the Treasury Department, uh, sanctioning armed. They named Mohammed um, Bazi, who's a financier, they said was giving Hezbollah money, and they named uh, Abdullah Safi uh, who is, they said was Hezbollah's representative to Iran. Um, along with five companies that were connected to Bazi. Um, And then May 22nd, OFAC named more Iranians, this time ones that they said were supporting Houthi missile capabilities in Yemen. Mm -hmm. And then May 24th, uh, just this Thursday, they went after uh, Iranian airlines, uh, naming different airlines and different aircraft and sanctioning that. So this is not really about Hezbollah. Right. Bigger than that. Much larger, right? So, I mean, Hezbollah is a big component of this, obviously. But, yeah, you look at this mm-hmm. timeline and the, the the immediate takeaway is like, oh, oh, they're pushing on a lot of fronts here. Uh, and that sort of makes sense, right? Because uh, if you look at Mike Pompeo's speech, he gave a speech on Monday basically outlining uh, the United States' position on Iran- what the U.S. wants from Iran, and he gave, like, 12 different points Mm -hmm. of what Iran needs to do in order to become on good terms with Washington. Mm -hmm. And it basically amounted to stop everything you're doing and, like, retreat to your borders and don't do anything nuclear, don't do anything ballistic.
0: Sounds reasonable.
1: (laughs) 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 It was, uh, yeah, not, not the most... I mean, it was basically like if you surrender, then we'll be nice to you, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, of course, this is not. This is not going to Trump happen. diplomacy. It's right, yeah. right. It's very maximalist, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and so yeah, they're they're going to be pushing like on all of these fronts. It seems, and I think this this is illustrated especially like they the, the House uh, one of the subcommittees of the House Foreign Affairs uh, Committee had a hearing mm-hmm. this past week on the Lebanese elections. And so I tuned in, right, because, like, oh, my God, they're going to talk about this. Uh, It was on Lebanese elections and Iraqi elections, and it was on neither. (laughs) It was, like, the the entire subtext of it was, how do we, as the United States, defeat Iran? Wow. Given what has happened in the elections, in both Lebanon and in Iraq.
0: So did they say, again, that Hezbollah... T- took over lebanon in the elections
1: no not really but uh, like two of the the they had three expert witnesses right and two of them basically said that hezbollah that the u.s had lost one of them actually sp- were her words verbatim the u.s has lost or we've lost lebanon you know mm-hmm. not necessarily in the elections but before that uh was, was, was the idea but anyway so so going back to this iran thing then the whole idea that uh Washington seems to be operating on, especially the Trump administration and Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, is that it's giving Iran a choice like either you can continue to do these, you know, extraterritorial like foreign expeditions in Syria and supporting the Houthis in Iran and supporting Hezbollah or you can retreat back to your borders. Um, and so and what they want to do, it seems is. Uh, uh, number one, the number one tool that they are sort of telegraphing that they're going to be using are these sanctions, mm-hmm. right? They they don't necessarily want to get involved in a hot war with Iran. That might be, that might go very badly. Um, so what they want to do is they want to use the sanctions to squeeze Iran financially so that Iran has to make this choice. Okay, we're seeing uh, maybe unrest in uh, you know some uh, some area some city over unemployment or something like that mm-hmm. do we use our limited resources our limited funds send that to hezbollah or do we send that to the city to help them uh you know to alleviate w- whatever unrest there is yeah that's what the u.s administration seems to be going for okay trying to force this decision mm-hmm. which if history tells us anything i don't know that that is necessarily a good strategy. Mm. I mean, it didn't work under the last round of sanctions. Right. And the last round of sanctions that was supported by the European Union, the United Nations. Now it seems to be the US all alone. So there there's real questions as to, you know, how well this is going to work. But at the same time, it seems as though the Trump administration is really just going for it. like yeah. Pedal to the metal. Quite
0: confidently, with a lot of Saudi support, I believe. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting what you're saying, but I wonder. I always wonder why does, like, the U. S. Prioritize, pressurizing Hezbollah and Iran so much? Like, there seems to be more than there is, in this whole thing.
1: Yeah, I. I mean, okay. So you've got the it all kicked off right with the nineteen seventy nine Iranian hostage crisis. Mm. Uh, so that ended very badly for the U.S. and great for Iran. Uh, you've got the 1983 Marine Corps barracks bombings specifically with Hezbollah, right? Uh, although Hezbollah says we didn't do it, uh, you know, we weren't around to do it, so that wasn't us. Um, the Americans don't buy this. They say, no, it doesn't matter. It was you. But yeah, I I I'm sort of like you in that I don't quite understand the, the full depth of the antipathy here. Certainly, there's there's the um, Israel angle, you know, especially with Hezbollah. But to me, it seems as though the United States has gotten past a whole lot before, like like the Vietnam War, for instance. You know, between nineteen sixty five and seventy three, you know, we lost something like fifty eight thousand uh, people in combat in Vietnam. And and that was only a little bit before everything kicked off with Iran, right? The, that was less than a decade before. Mm-hmm. And yet, we the United States is on, you know, somewhat positive terms with Vietnam today. It has come around a lot quicker, even though the death toll there was staggering. The United States has managed to come around and, and sort of be friendly with Vietnam now. But with Iran, where the death toll was... I mean, zero, Well, I guess uh, a few uh, service members died in, in a rescue attempt uh, during the hostage crisis. But that was, that was it. It was a handful of people, uh, mm-hmm. much, much fewer, uh, 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 a much lower uh, death toll, a much lower human, you know, misery toll. Mm-hmm. But we hold on to that for some reason. And I don't I don't quite understand why, you know.
0: I mean, I would say that it's more related to. Who has an agenda that is directly opposite to the United States agenda in the region? I mean, Vietnam doesn't constitute a threat to American imperialism today, right? We can say that comfortably, but we cannot at all say the same about Iran. Iran is the major anti-American force in the region. Not anti-American because they hate America, because it's challenging American imperialism in Lebanon, in Syria, in Yemen, in Iraq, etc. Right. I think this is the major part of it, but... I think for our listeners, the most important part is what does that mean for Lebanon, right? What do these sanctions mean for Lebanon? Can you tell us in a few minutes how will this impact the country from now on?
1: Well, I think we're not we're not done, right? So there's gonna be more shoes dropping. Well, the OFAC is just getting warmed up from everything, like all of the signs point towards more people getting sanctioned. Uh and and it seems as though the US really um they believe that there's room to squeeze uh, Lebanon here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hassan Nasrallah says, oh, we don't use banks. We're not involved in that. The U.S. does not believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they probably have evidence uh, that shows that. And if you think about it logically, it, it also sort of makes sense, right? Because if you're Hezbollah, if you, like if you put yourself in their mindset, right, you are the protector of Lebanon. What's the easiest way to make money in Lebanon? The banks. Right, the banks lend, lend to the government and get back, like, lots of money. Uh, if you look at, like, Bank Audi's profits last year, you know, like half a billion dollars, uh, you know. Yeah, then, the
0: four top banks in Lebanon made $1.2 or $1.3 billion of net profits in the last year. Yeah. That's yeah. like 2% it's, of our GDP or something it, like it, is,
1: it is, like, the banking sector here is, like, wildly out of proportion with the size of the country. And even even though like some of those profits are made abroad, right, but like a a big chunk of them, like 55% of bank Audis of that half a billion dollars was made here in Lebanon, Mm -hmm. right? For bank Audi. So if you are if you are in Hezbollah's mindset, you protect the country. You deserve a slice of this pie, right? So why not take some? And especially if you start to feel like financial hurt, or if your sponsor in Tehran is feeling some financial hurt, maybe you want to diversify. And if you aren't in banks so much today, maybe you want to get more into banks in order to sort of cash in on this. Because, I mean, you're already protecting the country. You you should get something back for that, right? Mm. This is how, if, if you are in Hezbollah's mindset, maybe you would think that way. I don't know if that's... If, if that... actually holds (laughs) yeah we have
0: to we have to probably one day make an investigation into hezbollah's political economy because there was a very interesting book written about that about hezbollah's political economy so we can look into that and talk about it some other episode how does hezbollah get really financed Which, uh, which book by joseph daher called the political economy of hezbollah
1: okay all right so anyway long story short the U.S. doesn't believe that Hezbollah is out of the banking sector, and they think that they can squeeze quite a bit. They could put quite a bit of pressure without killing the patient, so to speak. Mm. So Marshall Billingsley, the, I, one of the big wigs at the Treasury Department who is in charge of this stuff, he always talks about, oh, we're trying to do surgery and cut out the cancer but not kill the patient, mm. right? Because we all know Lebanon's economy is a little bit, you know, teetering constantly. So... Yeah. And, so and, the, and
0: I, I mean the The friends of the U.S. administration, the local allies, are really happy with how the Lebanese economy is structured as well. So they won't, they don't have interest in in, in the collapse of Lebanon at all, and especially not in the collapse of the Lebanese economy or the banking sector.
1: Right. I mean, the the, they they effusively praise the central bank, for yeah. instance. You know, the they they view because the central abide, bank as a I mean, yeah yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and and to be fair. They don't have a choice. And Hezbollah thinking, knows they don't have a choice. Thinking, you know, so it's, it's it's one of those things where everybody sort of knows, OK, yes, the central bank does implement American regulations, but it's because they basically have to. If, if we want to keep our economy going, you don't you don't fuck with that. Yeah. Right. So it seems that they're going to really, really put the pressure on Hezbollah financially. Uh, but then on the other hand, they are going to continue Uh, supporting the Lebanese army, the Lebanese armed forces. Bringing this back, though, to the government formation that we're going to be seeing in the next couple of weeks, people are actually saying, oh, well, this U.S. pressure may mean that we're going to see a cabinet more quickly. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Hariri even said it, right? Hariri was asked whether these sanctions would slow down the process, and he said, no, they might actually make it faster.
1: When, When there's a crisis, Lebanese politicians actually maybe get something done, you know?
0: Fingers crossed.
1: Okay, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another episode for you guys. Uh, My name is Benjamin Redd. I'm Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast.
0: The Lebanese politics podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Redd, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar el